Yes, it's not grammatically very complex and it's Latin-based. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm going <laughs> to stop you right there. And, oh, and this may <laughs> clearly me... You've nev- clearly you've never encountered la, the la, imperfect la. subjunctive. <laughs> Welcome to The Fluent Show, our podcast all about loving living and learning languages. Today, I am your host, Kirsten, from fluentlanguage.co.uk, and I'm joined by my wonderful, multilingual, polyglot, Milton Keynes-based, um, well-traveled co-host, <laughs> Lindsay from Lindsay Does Languages. Hey, Lindsay, how's it going? I'm good. wasn't quite sure where that was going. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> and we are here on this show to tell you everything and anything that we find interesting about learning languages and from the world of learning another language. And today we've got a hot topic for you. I think it's just a hot topic and not a hot potato like we've had in many, many, in many, many recent years. And this is a question that when you Google it, that's all I'm going to tell you about it. Every blog and website on the internet seems to have an opinion. So, this is ours. <laughs> uh, Lindsay, how's it been going before we crack on? Let's settle in. Have a cup. Settle in, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's been good. It's been good. Yes. You've been learning a lot of languages. Mm, not so much recently. It's currently uh, Easter holidays. So, my teacher husband, Ashley, is home. So um, it's slightly slower mornings, a little bit less language learning, mainly because I've been trying to book plane tickets. Oh, my goodness. Oh, wow. Takes all the time in the world to try and do that, right? (laughs) Where are you planning to? Planning? (laughs) Flying. Finally, finally booked um, to Spain. And then I'm going on from Spain to Seoul in Korea (gasps) and then back from there. (gasps) When are you going? Um, end of the summer or no, that's a lie in the middle of the summer, August. Oh, how wonderful. So yeah. when we're all so sitting I get to be here. in Spain for my birthday. Yay. Oh, that's awesome. That's my fantastic. 30th birthday. So when we're, oh, wow. Yes, it'll be my 30th birthday too. <laughs> <laughs> so when we're all sitting either in England in the rain in August or possibly meeting up at Langfest and high-fiving each other, you're going to be waving from the other side of the world in Seoul. How cool is that? Yeah. Love it. Love it. I've also been busy. I feel like I've been, I've had a struggling week in terms of keeping up with my languages, but the other day I had a nice morning of drops up Chinese studies so that was good fun and today this thing I feel like I've got like a three-step process when I get a when I get an email in Welsh so I'm on I'm on a few Welsh newsletters just sort of keep the contact going yeah and I sort of get the email look at it and go <gasps> okay you can do this you can do this stare 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 try and work out what on earth it's about um, because it, th- today's was about a campaign to rename the logo of the Senate, the Welsh government, so that they removed the words Welsh government from it because the Welsh language society thinks, well, it's called the Senate. It should be called the Senate in all the languages. We don't need to 
right Welsh government under it. But, you know, uh, so so they wanted people to comment on this uh, consultation. So it, it had lots of words in like consultation, consideration, da, da, da. Lots of words that starts with cum and cun and cuv. And I was just staring at it going, okay, you can do this. And then stage two, right, you can do this. All you need, Kirsten, is to really focus and look words up in the dictionary. Looked up a lot of words in the dictionary. That's when I got what they... I got what, what the topic was, mm. and I still wasn't 100% sure what they wanted. Like, bearing in mind, written Welsh is different from spoken Welsh, so had they phoned me up, I would have probably understood them better. And step three, just Google Translate. <laughs> <laughs> at which point, you know, like you're just if checking your fails, understanding. Right? <laughs> yeah, at that point, I was just checking my understanding, and I didn't know what, you know, like I knew... This is something about the bilingual logo and something, something. <laughs> but it was it was a little bit it was a little bit tricky. It's a little bit challenging. So, but that was my contact with Welsh for for today and probably the first one in a few days because been so been so busy and just so you know just just so overwhelmed with a few other things. Mm. So that's all good news. Welsh is continuing, and one day I'm even going to understand consultation and you know. <laughs> complex political emails that someone sends me all the important stuff all the important stuff all the important stuff now before we crack on with today's topic i think maybe i don't know should i throw another hint go for it okay i th- we will okay here is my my second hint we're going to end this podcast with a top five from Lindsay and a top five from me and listeners, I would love for you, as you're listening, to make your own top five and perhaps even comment and let us know what it is. So it's something that everybody's got an opinion about, not just all the blogs on the internet. I think everybody. That was hint number two. Before we crack on, last announcement is just to say that we have got, the, I think it's the last week of this run, of our wonderful, wonderful sponsor and our sponsor company, what are they called, Lindsay? Oh, I'm going to get it wrong. Italki. Italki. No, you oh, got Yes, okay. Phew. Said they, it right. They're so like, they, they sponsor language notes. You can tell they sponsor language notes by the way that they send the company name in the, in the international phonetic alphabet. <laughs> as a pronunciation guide so if you've never heard of italki and you're a language learner who is just you know making big strides and you'd love to you'd love to get a little bit perhaps beyond the apps or beyond the evening courses or something like that italki is a fantastic alternative or extra way of learning a language i think it's lovely 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 and Lindsay and I you Lindsay you and I both have used italki in the past for learning and teaching right mm, mm. so this is a italki it's an online platform where language learners can meet language teachers as a language teacher you can advertise your services on there and you will create a full profile with a video explaining your teaching approach you know it's really showing people who you are getting them to get to know you then you can set your prices all the prices are set by the teachers and you put your schedule in and as a learner you then turn up and you see all these teachers who've done all of this already so you can learn everything that you need to know about them and you can book your own personal one-to-one lesson with a teacher in a location that is convenient for you at an affordable price that you choose and you can speak to them and learn 
authentic, real language. So essentially, you've got your private Chinese tutor, you've got your private Korean tutor, you've got your private, I don't know what Catalan tutor, just in your pocket right there. And Lindsay and I both have been, like I said, teachers and learners on there. And Lindsay, what was your most bizarre lesson that you ever taught as a teacher? My most bizarre lesson I ever taught as a teacher? <laughs> oh, on the spot there. Were you in a weird location? or? Um, I don't know. Most of when I've been teaching, I've mostly been in normal places mm -hmm. doing normal things. Right. Um, I don't know. Most bizarre as I learn, I remember in the July of 2017 for the Italki Diversity Language Challenge, I think it was, um, I decided I wanted to do 12 different lessons in the time period that they had in 12 different languages. Sorry, forgot that bit. And um, for the very last lesson, it had been quite a short time and, you know, it'd been quite intense. And I remember like I was just sat on the floor in my office because I was on my laptop. Um, but for some reason, I couldn't be in the living room. I don't know why. I just remember being sat down like next to where I am now on the floor. I think I was maybe just like exhausted. <laughs> it was like <laughs> nine, ten o'clock at night and I had to do the last lesson. Like, yeah. In terms of like lesson that comes to mind as like slightly being a bit not normal, that would be the one. Ah, and what languages did you do at the time? At the time, that was Galician. Wow. Um, I did loads for that challenge. 12 languages altogether. Cebuano. Um, I think I might have had one in Hindi. It was, the idea was 12 languages that I'd never studied before. Wow. So I didn't know anything about. And I wrote a page before of like things I know about this language, everything I know about this language. And then the next page I then wrote, I filled out after the session. Mm -hmm. And so my aim was always to fill that second page. So even if, you know, I didn't come away obviously fluent after one hour, but I had a knowledge about this language that I didn't have before. And that mm -hmm. was a lot of fun. Yeah. And this is this is the other cool thing about italki is you really can find a tutor and just work with them for about two or three sessions. Like I did this with Icelandic, just sort of did a 10 day, I think I did a, a Benny Lewis challenge, decided I'm going to learn Icelandic for like a little, little bit, um, wrote a little script, met the tutor, learned how to pronounce it in a way that doesn't sound like I'm a German who just reads what she sees. And And that was basically it. So you can you can take some you can take some lessons where it's just hey I just want to get to know something about Cebuano I just want to get to know something about Icelandic, or you can you can really work through quite a lot and for for several years with your tutor and go through several levels of of fluency and it works it works in both ways it's really flexible. So listeners, if you wish to try out Italki and you've never heard of it before. Honestly, what have you been doing? Because it's a great resource. If you've ever heard of online lessons and you know, I mean, you're listening to a podcast about language learning, so let's help you have. If you haven't tried it, don't be shy. You can just come and you know, take a little, take a little trial, ask some questions. The teachers on Italki tend to be really excited and sort of ambassadors of their language. They're on there for a reason. You can meet them at fluentlanguage.co.uk slash italki. And if it's the first lesson that you ever book, then italki also will give you $10 free credit so you can just go wild and try, try out something new. That is it from italki. So I want to just thank them so much for sponsoring the show and thank them in general for the, the support that they've been giving to the language learning community because we've seen them We've seen them everywhere, right? Yeah, definitely. Mm. 
So that is fluentlanguage.co.uk slash italki. Now, Lindsay, I think I think we can't we can't keep people waiting any longer. You know, as you were doing that before, I was thinking, surely by now, people, <laughs> well, I don't know, I don't know what you're going to call this episode. But... I know, I have to call it like mystery episode of mystery. Now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I keep doing this thing where I'm like, I won't tell you the topic, I won't tell you the topic, but you, you could definitely just haven't the... seen the title. <sighs> well, <laughs> yes, of course, listeners, if you have <laughs> not seen the show notes yet and you're interested and you just, you know, you're just sick of On me trying to car. be mysterious in a really weird way, go to fluent.show slash 134. And that's also where you'll find all of the links and notes that we mentioned in today's episode. Okay, let's just get to this topic. The topic today is... What is the easiest language in the world? Slash top five easiest languages. So, (laughs) Lindsay, is there... Did you... Do you have an answer? Is it something really obvious? Mm. Or do you think this is something that warrants discussion? I think it does warrant discussion. I think the obvious answer for me is, well, obviously, there's so much variation. There is no answer of like, here you go. Here's the easy language. Go learn the easy language in two hours done. But at the same time, I think there's a lot to talk about it. And when you um, asked me, like for mine as well, which I'm sure we'll get to in a bit, my top five, my first thought was, you know what? I think the easiest language to learn is always the one that you're not learning. Because it's so easy to look at other languages and think, oh, yeah, I could learn that. Or like, you know, you learn one word in a language. You think, oh, yeah, cool. Now I want to learn that. And now I could definitely do that. Even though you're probably learning a language already or learning multiple languages already. And you're thinking, oh, yeah, I'm slogging along or I'm going through a bit of a struggle. So the easiest language to learn is the one that you're not learning. Oh, that's, that's a really interesting perspective. Yeah. Ah, that's a really interesting perspective. I hadn't even thought about that. Like, I did have sort of some, I had some thoughts on this and did their all like mind mapping and um, I sort of touched on like just the learner's attitudes and learner's situation. So the easiest language is the one that you're not learning. Do you not then think that a lot of people will avoid learning a language because they think it's going to be really hard and they don't want to even... Mm. You know, it's kind of like, it's like, that would be a little bit like saying, well, the easiest marathon to run is the one that you're not running, which is probably which is actually true, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you see what I mean? But then it just becomes endless. So like, yeah, you could yeah. also say the most difficult language to learn is the one you're not learning because Correct. you're never going to become fluent because you're not learning it. You know, it's just... yeah. Which, which, which kind of touches on a thing that we'll get to later, which is the only way you're ever going to know if a language is easy or not is by learning it. Right? Because you can't, you just, you just don't know. There you go. End of podcast. No, but there are a few. <laughs> and and you, you know, you, you say that as well. Like, I think as well, sometimes when you say the only way that you'll know if it's easy is by learning it what makes a language easy right like mm-hmm. because you know if you start learning a language but actually they don't have a word for hello you have to like for example with malay or indonesian there is no like you know one size fits all hello you say it depending on the time of the day so to to learn how to to greet someone you have to learn like four or five different expressions so instantly you're thinking oh well that makes it more difficult than language x or language y 
but then it could be later down the line there's something that's easier there so do you know what I mean it's not just about the the first stuff so how long do you have to go before you decide that a language is easy to learn does that make sense yeah yeah so you've got the um the language world view as well mm. which which kind of comes into this hmm so I've come up with I came up in my notes with four factors that that felt to me relevant to um, pay, maybe help help a learner determine whether a language is easy or not. And I'd like to present them to you so we could maybe talk through them. Okay. And but uh, you've already named two things that I didn't even cover. So there's just so so much more. Look at me me saying cover instead of cover. I'm becoming southern. Uh, there we go. Listeners, this is my accent changing live on it. Okay, so the four aspects, and I'll, I'll name all four, and then maybe we can kind of go into them, is that, that I saw when I asked people, when I kind of had a little bit of a look around the internet and just kind of thought about it by myself. Number one, language family. Number two, language history. Number three, dominance meaning cultural dominance and number four learner situation so i guess learner dependent factors i feel like i sound like i'm writing a textbook here so language family history dominance and learner situation so let's start with the families and that was for me all around the question what is familiar, what is similar to your native language or a language that you already know? And one thing I noticed is when I asked people in my in my group, in my Facebook group, Fluent Language Learners, you'll find it in the show notes. When I asked people in my Facebook group, um, a lot of people that gave slightly different answers, but all the answers were were oh, I like this because it's similar to my native language or to a language that I already know. Yeah. See, I find this interesting because I know English is a Germanic language, but mm-hmm. German was one of the hardest languages that I've ever learned. Mm-hmm. Right? I, yeah, German. German to me stands stands out there a lot. So the English speakers, um, I'll give you, I'll give you what people said, and I wonder. I have a, I have a, a theory around German, perhaps, um, because okay. Andy mentioned this in a podcast as uh, in a podcast in the f- um, Facebook group as well. Uh, that he's learning German, he's finding German quite easy. Um, and I said to him, I don't know why people are so scared of German. I mean, I'm a German teacher. I'm forever saying, I don't know why people are so scared of German. It's not hard. But I know we have some complexity. So the English speakers in the group named as their easiest languages, Spanish, Dutch, German, Swedish, and then the other kind of Scandies. So somebody said Norwegian, um, somebody else named Portuguese, but then said he can't speak it. He just understands it a lot. So there is that aspect of what are we, you know, what are we talking about? And again, what is your language learning goal? Because once you know Spanish, Italian's easier to figure out, but that doesn't make mm. you and an do Italian you speaker. speaker or do yeah. you want to understand it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's also goal dependent. But let's say let's say you're learning the languages. So what people said was Spanish, Dutch, German, Swedish, and Stephen in the Facebook group made such a fun comment about Dutch because he said it's like a simplified Frenchified German, <laughs> <laughs> and it makes sense because Dutch and English, um, Dutch, German, and English are very closely related. Does that mean then that Flemish is a simplified Frenchified Dutch? Just one step further on. 
Arguably, when you talk <laughs> when you talk to the people there, uh, oh, Lindsay throwing in a hot potato. Uh, oh. We <laughs> talk to some people. Flemish is Dutch. Yeah, with a funny but, accent. Yeah, but it has a different name, so I, I'm happy to. Yeah, let it be its own thing. True. Yeah, exactly. I am too. And it's that thing as well, isn't it? Where like Luxembourgish is to to me looks fairly fairly easy to figure out. Like it's I understand everything. But again, so so this is interesting because here we have two levels of ease, I guess, of easiness. Level one is can you understand it? And that comes a lot quicker, especially if you know a related language. And I think maybe that's where the language family thing helps more. And then the second is can you learn how to communicate in it quite easily? And that's where I think maybe the language family factor isn't as rich right that might be where people find german hard it's you can look at german and figure something out but it's a different question when you then start picking it up if your tuition is bad that was my other thing not bad necessarily but german is this language that people a lot of people get pushed on them in school in a right. kind of one or two lesson a week um very structured exam focused context same with French, whereas mm. Spanish tends to be like, oh, okay, the lower level language students can do Spanish. Yeah, which if, is so if at all. insulting <laughs> to everyone in this situation. <laughs> but it's again, it's if you think in exam contexts, that again kind of makes sense, I suppose. But it's also like that's just because we're in Europe, and what are the richest countries in Europe? Not Spain, you know, Germany, France the UK arguably, although they're doing a good job trying to make it worse for themselves. But no, nah, we're not that kind of podcast. So <laughs> so that's what English speakers said. And you made a really good point there that the English speakers didn't name French as one of the easier languages. Because of school. Maybe. I, I think, I think I would say. I've never found French easy. Never, never. And French has a lot of difficult pronunciation issues when you first start. So another thing was like, I think a language like uh, Spanish is quite, gives you a lot at the start, you know. So again, that's what I was saying with the Indonesian, like mm -hmm. what, how, how far can you go before it's not easy? And then, you know, how does that affect your appreciation of how easy or difficult a language Ooh, is to learn? Oh, yeah. You know, so it's the same. If you can go quite far in Spanish until you get to the trickier stuff. Yeah. Then it does feel easier. Yeah. And you know? yeah. Yeah, that's, that's it definitely. And I think that's, that affects English as well. So here are the languages that the other native speakers that we had in the group had, had mentioned. Well, we had a, a Persian speaker, actually, who said she found Korean really easy. But we couldn't quite put our finger on what that was. She said she thought she found it harder if a language has verbs that change rather than when the grammar is there, because I know that you found Korean quite hard. So that's a, a maybe an outlier. The Persian speaker who really likes Korean. We had Spanish speakers who said, oh, they find Catalan easy, uh, Italian and English, which figures along with okay, what we've yeah. said so far. No surprises. German speakers saying English and Dutch. Again, no surprises. No yeah, massive surprises, sense. yeah. The French speakers naming Spanish, Italian and Catalan. Yeah. And... The Finnish speaker, um, I'm, not, I'm, not I'm not reproducing the whole comment here, but saying they really liked German and found German quite straightforward. 
Okay. So could you, I don't know whether coming from a language with complex grammar means you're automatically finding it easier to go into a language with complex grammar. That's not necessarily true. Oh, we had a Polish speaker who said he liked Slovak and Czech. Mm. Again, makes sense, right? Yeah. Yeah. So do you think, I think this is about vocab overlap. I think so. It would be interesting to get some feedback on this from people that speak language isolates. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So if you're a Greek speaker, what do you find easy? Yeah. Yeah. But we, we, well, we've got the other factors as well, right? So this is the language family factor, but it's not everything. Because a lot of people also mentioned English is easier automatically because it's everywhere. And we'll get to that later. Now, I, I started seeing one big problem with this, which is that all the languages people named are languages that they kind of know about, right? And languages yes, that we've tried yeah. and that are really widely learned. So we are really limited to assuming that a common, commonly studied languages will be easy. And I think there's a really, um, there's a real thought error that we make by thinking when a language is popular that it's going to be easy, because no one, no one, for example, named Romanian even though that's a language in the Romance family and is is kind of you know I don't want to say modified Italian but if you if you know Italian you can figure out Romanian at least in terms of the meanings and comprehension so no one mentions Romanian but everybody says oh Spanish is really easy and they're in the same family but Romanian just isn't as widely studied is not a rich nation at all and I think there's there's a real aspect there of popularity um white country languages rich country languages and just widely spoken languages being considered easier when actually they're just more popular what do you think of that theory i think that makes sense yeah because it ties in as well with the idea of i'm thinking about you know if, if you i'm thinking about guarani for example right yeah. so the thing that made that difficult in the beginning was finding stuff to use and so if there's not things if there's no access to it in the first place before you even get to learn in the language itself then of course it's going to be more difficult whereas if it's something like spanish um as opposed to romanian you know or say arabic um instead of learning i don't know maybe persian mm -hmm. then there's so much more out there you could go to any bookshop on any British high street and find something for Spanish or Arabic. Yeah. But Romanian or Persian, you'd need to maybe go somewhere more specialist or look online, right? So instantly you've got a bit of a barrier there and that's going to make it more difficult unless, you know, do, do you see what I'm saying before you even get to the language? So I think that popularity definitely makes us perceive things as being easier. Yeah. Which can be a good thing because I think you need to have that access, that sort of ease of access to get people curious and interested in learning any language in the first place so you know if spanish acts as a sort of gateway for people to then kind of go on to learn more languages down the line then that's a good thing in my mind yeah this reminds me of something hadi said um, hadi Ndoy, when she was on the podcast and you no know, sort of talked about african languages and she mm. said oh the one, the one that will be fairly easy to learn for most people will be Swahili. No one ever lists Swahili in the list, but it's again, it's just, 
on the periphery. It's just not in our field of view, you know. But I again, feel... you don't see Swahili books everywhere. Yeah, I feel like there's almost like zones. Um, what's it called? The zone of... Um, I can't remember what I'm thinking of, but it's like zones, right? So like a circle in the middle of all the languages that you see on every bookshelf in every bookshop, right? Your yeah. Spanish is, your French, your maybe your Chinese, your Russian, your Arabic, if you're in a slightly bigger shop. Yeah. yeah. Then outside of that, you've got things that are perhaps a little bit more quirky, maybe Dutch, maybe Swedish, maybe um, uh, Korean, I would possibly put there, but it's kind of slipping into the middle one now, you know, K-pop and everything. And then you've got another circle out from that that's like Catalan and uh, maybe Romanian, yeah. maybe Persian. It just Welsh. Sounds, yeah, right? Uh -huh. There's almost like uh -huh. circles of obscurity yeah and that is not to be confused with easy going out to difficulty yeah yes yes because when i tell people i'm learning welsh i get a lot of oh that must be really difficult yeah when i haven't found it difficult um and i've yeah. got i've got a theory as to why i haven't found it difficult um part possibly because i come from a native language background where my language has a lot of uh, speaking and spelling consistencies. It's not like English where, you know, you say a word, you've got no idea how it's spelled. In German, when you hear a word, you kind of know how it's spelled as long as you know the rules. So German is has that consistency between pronunciation and spelling. German has got compound words and German has got prefixes that mean a thing and always they attach to lots and lots of words and kind of change the word in that specific way. Those things are all things that I'm seeing in Welsh. Like that, and it makes it makes Welsh feel more familiar to me, and it made me it made me maybe coming from the background of of German, I don't know. Um, I always kind of strive to get get to grips with the pronunciation of a language really, really early because I feel like it helps me with spelling, helps me with reading. It's just a really good place where I where I want to start, and. I found in Welsh that once I'd cracked that, I had kind of gone over one of the big starting hurdles, and it made it made things it made things easier for me. So to me, um, perhaps because because of that, like the the grammar is not crazy complex, <laughs> at least not. So yeah, this <laughs> makes know? sense. It's not just about language families and your native language and what that's related to, you yeah. know, linguistically. It's also about your sort of history of languages that you know, including your native language and the features that perhaps cross over sometimes unexpectedly. Maybe that's what's happened with um, the Persian speaker in your Facebook group and Korean, right? Yes, exactly. Maybe there's something there that is similar or works in a similar way. And so therefore, even though we think of these two languages as being completely different from one another, maybe there's something that makes that easier. Yes, and that that automatically again comes to the comes to the final answer um, or hints towards the final answer because no learner is the same. No language learner, even if you're an English learner who's never done another language, an English native speaker who's never done another language, you may have grown up hearing different languages. You you may have a different a dialect. You may come from a different area. Um, of of the country, you know, like if you are, for example, Scottish, you've got certain sounds in your pronunciation that will aid you with, say, other Celtic languages or some of the other Germanic languages. Um, so, so, like, 
it's like DNA. No language learner is the same as another language learner. You can never compare. So making these, when I when I Googled this question and everybody's lists came up, I was just like, oh, everybody stop saying Spanish is, is easy. Yeah. You know, yes, it's not grammatically very complex and it's Latin based. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm going <laughs> to um, stop you right there. And, oh, and this made <laughs> clearly me... You've nev- clearly you've never encountered la, the la, imperfect la. subjunctive. <laughs> <laughs> Not the, I mean, I've encountered the subjunctive, but I guess after I did the subjunctive in French and already cried over it for a lot. So Clearly hmm. you've never encountered the a mi me gusta, a mi me gustan list of verbs that I can't remember the name of. Oh, Ooh. maybe I did and I just didn't find them hard. Maybe. Maybe I'm a genius. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> But this makes me oh this this made me think of one other factor of of the um the learner's situation that I haven't put in my notes but I thought about when we were talking it's also I think about your language learning goals and what you can envisage yourself doing in the language and I think a lot of people you know outside of the language learning nerd realm will consider Spanish easy partly because it's quite easy to imagine doing something somewhat productive in Spanish because that will be ordering in a restaurant when you're on holiday in Spain whereas Hindi usually or Urdu let's say usually widely spoken in this country no one ever considers learning Urdu even though you could totally probably work out where to go and speak to somebody and have a an interaction in that way in that language but it's almost invisible because it's not you know it's not part of again the dominant majority, dominant cultural groups, day-to-day life. Yeah, it makes sense. So I think if you can imagine yourself doing easy things in a language, you're going to think a language is easier. Whereas if you can't imagine yourself doing anything in the language, you're automatically going to think it's harder. True that. Wow, wow, wow. Deep stuff, deep stuff. Um, And in my Facebook group, I wanted to read out one more comment. It was really cool. Tilda replied to the question, what are the easiest languages for you? With this answer, I thought it was so smart, but it's very polyglot. Um, It's always the last three that you learned. That implies you just like, yeah, I know. (laughs) And she says, I think the easiest three are often your last three because you develop your language learning strategy as you work out which things help you learn. So for me, French, Esperanto, Welsh, that's what she said. Hmm. So how would you feel about that in your, in your say, landscape of language learning? Mm, I can see how that makes sense because you can envision, like you can envisage, you can envision, like you were just saying about seeing yourself using it, you can see yourself learning it. So you can see, you know, you've got these strategies and these techniques in place of how to learn that particular language. So it's easy to imagine improving. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So this is, this is, I think it's, and it goes into into this topic that I'm just so obsessed with, which is the, the heuristic and the shortcuts of thinking. And I think it's, it really is something about availability, like what is available in your mind's eye that you can actually see yourself doing. And if you see an awful lot of Spanish course books everywhere, and you know Spanish is taught in schools, and you know people go on holiday in Spain, etc., you can envisage yourself learning Spanish quite easily. Uh, the same way that the, you know, perhaps Germans 
will envisage themselves learning Italian. And Italian is very commonly studied because, you know, we've got high Italian population and we go on holiday in Italy. Although, again, there is something about the rich majority here because the same way that Brits don't all think learning Urdu is easy, Germans don't all think learning Turkish is easy. So we are massively underusing our immigrant population here. We should use that. We should use that. Get on that. Right. Let me tell you another factor. So we, we sort of touched on cultural dominance. So I'm not going to go into that one too much. Um, but I want to talk about a, a different thing that I thought about, which is sometimes languages outside of this whole family thing, sometimes languages have been designed to ease communication. Right. So it could also be something to do with the history of a language. You already mentioned Indonesian earlier, and I wrote down Indonesian. Is it Indonesian or Indonesian? Sorry, say what? Is it, it what or what? They it, sound exactly the same. Indonesian or Indonesian? Indonesian. Indonesian. So Indonesian is an is a, is an example of a language designed to ease communication in a mixed group. Am I right about that? Kind of. So it's it's quite an unusual example, I think. Um, basically, in Indonesia, there's I think it's the second most linguistically diverse country on the planet, second to Papua New Guinea, which is right next door, um, made up of lots of islands. So there's around 700 languages in Indonesia, I believe. Um, no, that, that sounds too high. Yeah, 700, 800 and something in Papua New Guinea. So it must be around 700 Wowza. in Indonesia. Quite a few. And so when um, they, you know, became a country and everything and colonists uh, said adios, well, not adios, they weren't Spanish, but you know what I mean. Then they decided, right, what language are we going to pick as our official national language? So they didn't want to pick Dutch um, or another sort of colonial language, such as um, I think they've got pockets of, of Portuguese perhaps as well. They didn't want to pick Dutch because that was that had a colonial connection. They didn't want to pick um, English because there wasn't really a connection to English. They thought, you know, I think the idea of it's going to be a big international language, but it also means we lose something of ourselves. They didn't want to pick Javanese because that was a language of, yes, a majority group of people in the country, but not everyone. And so it then, you know, would give rise to that one particular um, ethnic group within the country. And so they picked Indonesian, which had been used. It's essentially a version of Malay. Now it's, you know, a language in its own right. Um, but they picked Indonesian as that language because it wasn't anyone's, I, I may be getting bits of this wrong, but it wasn't anyone's like um, native language within the country. So for everyone, it held that same sort of position, you know, sort of culturally and historically and everything. Yeah. I, I believe that's the case. And what, um, so it wasn't, okay, so it wasn't definitely wasn't considered like because um, people thought, oh, this one's going to be really easy for everybody. Mm, I don't think so. There may have been an element of, you know, it will be easier to teach this language than it would to teach, say, you know, um, Javanese, where you've then got a, a group of people who could become teachers of that, and they'd be, you know, that it would create a bit of a of a uncomfortable diversity within the country. So, um, yeah, I don't know, I don't know the details of it, but I think it was more a case of picking something a bit more neutral. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So easing communication in the sense that 
there was less of a linguistic hierarchy. Yeah, I guess less of a, a maybe an emotional barrier to to some people as well. Right, and that fits with what you've ju- you've just been saying, you know, about like um, the sort of richer countries and their language be- being popular and all of that stuff. They kind of went right. Yeah, day one. And when you when you said colonial, that made me think, ah, that's the other thing, right? The mm. the biggest colonial power after Britain was Spain, right? I think France. Oh, I think I'm going to have to edit this out. I can't possibly I th- sound this uninformed. <laughs> we definitely double check. I think France, because I think there's a big deal with Britain and France saying who had the bigger empire. Yeah, yeah. But, ah, oh, hmm. okay. So, history nerds, please write in. But again, these three extremely cultural, culturally dominant languages around the world. Mm. And then maybe Spanish is actually easier than French. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. I don't know. I don't know. So, but in beyond Indonesian... I was also thinking about some other languages that, that perhaps kind of go into this. Like you've got this, did that emotional thing, but you know, sometimes when a language emerges because communication needs to be eased and communication needs to be eased quickly and it's building on uh, what what's existent there, what's existent grammatically. So I'm thinking about pigeons. Mm-hmm. Okay. Are, yeah. Are and they Creole languages? Yeah. Languages. I don't know whether they're easy to learn because most people don't learn them. I would I would imagine that they're not necessarily um, a very very popular foreign language because they, you know, because of this weird kind of like in between the language status that they have. But of course, they're easy to learn. They have to be right because the whole point of a pigeon is that it's really easy. To, to go from one place to another. So I have, yeah, I was kind of looking at that and I thought Nigerian pidgin is now so, so widely spoken, for example, and they, by their nature, take something that already exists and simplify it further. Mm. I mean, yeah, like the, there are cases where, cre- where, where a pidgin has become a Creole and then a Creole language has become an official language. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of Belize because yeah. we did a language stories episode about this and we had Timothy McKeon on who's really knows his stuff on this. So definitely listen to that because <laughs> um, I'm no expert for sure. But Yeah, and Haitian but, Creole, right? Sister. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. That's another good example. Um, but then there are cases as well. So something like Kristang in Malaysia, again, another language stories episode where it's a Creole language, but it's not official. It doesn't have an official status, but it does exist within a community. And, and I, I feel like right now it's fair to say that that community is becoming stronger, I, mm-hmm. w- I would say, um, from what I've experienced. Yeah. But I don't think, like you say, it's not something that you would naturally perhaps be drawn to learning. I personally find it really interesting. Yeah. And, I, you know, I, I like learning about Creoles and Pigeons, but I feel like there's perhaps a bit of a barrier in terms of learning and then using a Creole language. I know, like... Oh, there's the from, emotional barrier again, there's, right? There's because something, I think you feel yeah. self-conscious. Is it cultural appropriation? Well, Does yes, it belong yeah, yeah, to a yeah. community? Yes, ah. exactly. I remember being in Belize and, like, every, you know, 90% of people, at least that we encountered, spoke English. 
but between themselves they would speak in Creole. And so you could understand the words, but they were kind of in an order that didn't, that, that kind of made sense, but, you know, didn't fully make sense. And so you'd have to respond back in English. And it felt so weird. It felt so colonial, to be quite honest with you, because I would then, you know, they, they would say one of the, you know, the boatmen, um, I remember he threw a boat, a bag to someone and said, uh, you say what you mean, but you mean what you say. Oh. And I was like, I was like, I understand that. Yeah. But I also don't. No, exactly. And I also don't know how I would respond to that. So it was like, hmm. So then I have to then respond when they're having this conversation in Creole in this almost like, you know, I could almost sort of with my monocle on, like, hello there, fine sword. Blah, blah, blah. You just feel like that and it's horrible. Um, and so, you know, there, there is something where it then becomes, <laughs> it, would be, it would be relatively easy to learn a Creole language or a pidgin if you had the knowledge of the sort of languages that they had been birthed from. Yeah, yes. But then it wouldn't necessarily be easy to A, find resources or B, use it in appropriate situations. Oh, and that makes something, makes another really interesting point. A language can be linguistically fairly easy. This just reminds me so much of, and also I'm just giggling so much about hello, Pfizer. <laughs> oh, monocle. That's one of my favorite emojis. <laughs> the, so, but it also reminds me of like my, in theory, desire to learn. Jamaican patois mm. because of my deep deep love for Sean Paul <laughs> but it's there's no way of me doing that credibly right I'm forever just gonna have to turn up and be the absolute if I ever did that and went to Jamaica to practice Jamaican patois there is no way I wouldn't look like basically I don't know an elephant oh. in a clown car has just driven into Buckingham Palace it's I've, just I've mental just, I've just thought of another example and it's not technically a pigeon or a creole but Scots uh-huh, the Scots uh-huh, language. Uh-huh, yeah. I can understand that. I can re- I could read the Harry Potter when I've seen the book in, in shops. Yeah. But if I went to Scotland with my English accent and tried to speak Scots, I would sound like I was taking the mick. Possibly. Poss- I don't know. I think you could I think you could pull it you could definitely pull uh, it off. And there's I no feel like at it least- would be offensive. I wouldn't feel comfortable. Ah, oh, so there, what we're, what we're kind of hitting on really interesting. So, cause I was, I came here with this, like, but there are languages that are made to be easy. They are pigeons. Ha ha ha. But with a pigeon, what we are learning here or what we're discovering is they can be linguistically perhaps fairly straightforward. They're not like Nigerian pigeon doesn't, doesn't from what I, from everything I've seen, I've like, I've always been able to figure out what's happening. And in the same way, I can figure out what's happening in Dutch, you know. Mm. Um, and from what I, I watched in, in prep for this, I sort of watched a few YouTube videos about Nigerian pigeon and stuff. But it's not just about linguistically easing. We're back to that cultural dominance. It's again like, what can you credibly learn as you? Like, where does it fit in with who you are? And you can't, like... You can just about like you can just about sort of go to go to Wales and say hello. I'm the German who learned Welsh, and you can go to um, Paraguay and say, okay, I'm the English girl who learned Guarani. Because we, you and I, sort of, I think both come at it from a point of view of I just love, love, love languages rather than I want to be a part of your community and I'm going to be one of you. Mm. There's but, a way to approach it. Yeah. It's almost like 
I remember I'm thinking back to to talking with Timothy about it, and I remember him saying, "You want to be invited to yeah. use the language, so you can learn it, but to use it." that ease of, of using it comes from being invited to use it. Yeah, because I think these communities have got a strong history as well of people just rocking up and telling them what exactly. they're doing wrong. Exactly. Mm. Interesting. So, okay, let me bring you my last example then of a language perhaps designed to ease communication. Maybe this could be considered easy. Don't know. Again, because I've got very little availability in my mind of whether this is easy. Sign languages. Mm. What do you reckon? Do you know what? I have been surprised lately because I went to the library and I did my little loop of the library of the travel section and then the language section. And I picked up British Sign Language for Dummies. And mm-hmm. I've always mm-hmm. been a bit reluctant by that series. I, I remember I had a, the Chinese one once with a friend and we used it for a little bit and it was okay. But then... um we we stopped using it, but then I always felt a bit like, oh yeah, but it's it's not going to be any good for dummies. You know, I'm not a dummy. How dare you? And <laughs> but actually, this is really good, and I'm surprised how much I've been able to pick up from a book. You know, I'm certainly not proficient, but I'm I'm very intrigued by sign languages, and I think that there is an ease in terms of learning them and in terms of the language itself but that is a broad generalization because there's over 300 of them in the world yeah you know how can you say oh yeah you could learn 300 languages super easy not necessarily and the other thing is how do you compare learning a sign language to learning a language with an oral and perhaps a written history as well you know a written version as well Oh, do you think because it could be easier process, or harder because there's an element missing? Not missing, Miss, but because but I mean, I'm no, no, I, I don't mean missing. I mean that the the whole method of communication is so different, and so the whole method of learning that is actually going to be quite different. Like I'm saying, I've, I've still learned a bit from a book, yeah. but you know, I wouldn't be able to use that. I'm I'm learning more about it from the book. If I wanted to actually use it, I'd need to go. And to a lesson and practice, just like you would have to practice speaking. Yeah. But, yeah, you know, yeah. practice speaking with your hands versus speaking with your, you know, your mouth, your throat, and everything else versus, you know, writing and all of that. Is, they're very different uh, skills. They're very different ways of learning. So it's diff- difficult, perhaps, to compare the ease of learning a sign language to the ease of learning a spoken language. Yes. I can I can absolutely see that. I know exactly what you mean. And I, I I know exactly what you mean. It's kind of like almost like like you know an instrument, so you know music theory and you know you can read music and you've got a sense for music, but just because you can play the flute doesn't mean that you can pick up the saxophone. Yeah, but at the same time, it would be easier to go from something well actually it's a woodwind, isn't it, I believe. But we but it would be perhaps more difficult to go from flute to guitar to piano than it would to go from flute to oboe to yeah. recorder or saxophone. Or or how you can you can sing and yeah. or that's something I've done in the past is like I can sing and I can sort of play the piano, but I have to work really hard if I want to sing and play the piano at the same time. Right. That much so about music, back to languages. Different skills coming together and used in different ways. So it's hard to compare. Yeah. 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 So I, I, and this again, again, and again, we, we keep coming back like 
it's interesting because when I first brought this list, I thought, right, I've got this cracked. Like it's language families, it's language history, blah, blah, blah. This is everything. But in our conversation, I feel like a conclusion that we're coming to or somewhere that we're coming to is, yes, the learner situation definitely matters. Your attitude to a language matters. A bad experience in the past can give you the idea that a language is hard when it may have just been the situation that you were in. Mm. Uh, this is me campaigning to give German another go, everybody. But <laughs> <laughs> but it, but I think it's I think it's true. Like bad grades in school, right? That's one of those examples that makes people think they are bad at a language when not that isn't necessarily true. Makes people think they're bad at communication. There's there's so many aspects there. So I feel like that is an aspect of the learner situation, then you have to you have to be aware of what you see in the world. But what I hadn't expected before this communicate before this uh, conversation is how much we keep touching on this idea of the cultural dominance. And that you you can't know what's easy for you because you you could you only know the languages that you can think of kind of usually off the top of your head. So you're only gonna list something that is just really easily available to you rather than what what might be accessible. And then this other part of the cultural, like, and the emotional barriers, like you mentioned that with Indonesian and then we talked about it with the pigeons too. Yeah. Mm. So I've got a few extra questions to think about and then I want to get to our our top fives. So one thing that I thought about when I thought about the easy languages, uh, at some point I thought, well, does it even matter? Should we really pay attention to what's easy? And should the ease of a language, the ease, right, ease in, in, in very big speech marks, <laughs> determine your choice to commit to learning that language? I think that if you want, and, and I'll come back to that point in a minute, so want, not in quote marks, but in bold and italic, Mm -hmm. to learn a language to a high level mm -hmm. then it becomes easier and that doesn't mean it won't be difficult at times but it will be easier if you really want to learn to a high level if you need to learn a language to a high level then automatically any ease that is you know sort of predetermined um by any of the things we've discussed already is kind of washed away and doesn't matter yeah you've kind of because, forfeited don't you yeah like if you need to for you know school for work for like forced um forced immigration that kind of thing then it doesn't matter if it's considered an easy language because it you know you may not actually enjoy doing the thing mm -hmm, mm -hmm. this reminds me of something that um Christian always says that I have, I even put it in, in focus and fluency, one of, one of the courses I did, which was, in, and there it was about um, methods and productivity methods, but in general, if something isn't working for you, that's the same as it just doesn't work, right? Because it doesn't matter if a method works for somebody else, it has to work for you. And I, the want, there was something that, that I thought about, again, when I thought about learning Welsh, in Welsh, when I encounter something like mutations, where you could go, oh, that's so hard, people run a mile, etc., etc., I didn't feel that way because I was so motivated to learn this language and so curious in the way I approached it. I was much, I didn't, 
my goal wasn't to become perfect or anything. My goal was to, to find out more and still kind of is that when I came across what other people might, or like certain people in certain situations might consider, oh my God, this makes the language a lot harder because it's a complexity. To me, it made the language more interesting and more desirable. And, and it was almost an extra motivation factor. That's such a great way to look at the difficult quote unquote <laughs> so many quote marks the difficult bits mm -hmm. to think okay this is intriguing rather than ah, i'm done absolutely yeah i found that with chinese tones as well i'm just like oh okay you know like <laughs> tell me more yeah. I, I, I just want to find out more like i don't want to perfect this immediately and that has helped me so so much take on languages that are outside the families that i've i've studied in the past Cool. Mm. And how did you, I'm curious, Guarani is probably your highest level newly added language of the last five years, right? Oh, last five years? I don't know. Uh, your highest, is it your highest level non-Latin? Non-Latin. Uh, maybe. So did you find anything specific in Guarani where you had a similar experience? Is there any, would you say Guarani came easy to you, was difficult to you, is complex, is not complex? What do you, what do you think? I think there's a few, oh yeah, you know what? Because there's a lot of suffixes and, and prefixes. So verbs conjugate with the, with a prefix being added. Oh, to determine the person, not a suffix. And then there's loads of suffixes that um, mean different things. So, for example, if you want to say that you want something, for example, like um, she, she, um, areco, I, I have, right? So, if you say she, areco, pete, carumbe, I have a tortoise, right? If you then say, I want to have a tortoise, you add se, S-E, on the end of that verb. So, she, areco, se, pete, carumbe. Yeah. And then, you've, so, so doing it that way, mm -hmm. that's, been, that's been really curious. But I don't know if I would say that's difficult, but there's a lot of them to learn and the, the nuance of it's quite, yeah. perhaps could be perceived as difficult. So, but I think like you said, with the mutation stuff, for me, that has made me more curious to want to learn more mm -hmm. of those and to learn more about them and yeah you know which is why i would i would advise any new language learner and we, we often do this you know like uh, uh communicate this and hopefully in this episode you found out a little bit why your polyglot friends say this if you're a new language learner and you're asking what is the easiest language to learn kind of don't ask or like don't make that too much of a part of what motivates you to learn because it's much more about is there a specific one that you kind of feel called to or drawn to and if you let your cur curiosity guide you rather than your too much of your head right if you kind of bring in your heart a little bit more uh you will you will benefit from that and the difficult aspects or quote-unquote difficult aspects of that language, mm -hmm. like what Lindsay just described with the prefixes, or like mutations, or perhaps German cases, or Russian cases for that matter, or Finnish cases for that matter, they, they might not phase you as much as, as you expect, because you're just kind of, you're in it, and you're just ready, you know, you're taking whatever is, is coming your way. 
Okay. Lindsay, I, I have, okay, I've written four conclusions from this. I, I wrote three that I came to and I think I've added one. You've added one. Okay. I've, I've added one. Exactly. So number one. So how do you know if a language is easy or hard? Here is the answer from the Fluent Show. Number one, it's personal. This time it's personal. It's personal. Number two, what you know is limited. Oh, right. Could you, you just expand that a little bit? Well, you don't know what you don't know. So, oh, okay. So it's hard to say as like a as like a as like a final answer in the whole wide world. The yeah. easiest language is language X. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And it's kind of what we said right at the start of this conversation. The easiest language is the one you're learning, but also the hardest is the one you're not learning. But the hardest mm. one is also the language you're not learning. So essentially, you just don't know until, you, until no. you're in it. Number three, it's really hard not to think easy when you mean available. Yeah. That makes sense, hopefully, after this conversation. And number four is it's, it's really circumstantial. You can be an adult learner choosing to pick up a language, teaching it yourself, using all the learning methods. Maybe it's your 17th or it's your 7th or it's your 3rd. Um, and it's going to make it a million times easier than if you're in school trying to pass an exam that you don't like and you've got a stomachache. So those are, those, are the four, those are the four conclusions I think that I wrote down here. And then there's, there's also something, the it's personal has this sort of it's, like it's emotional and cultural. It's got all that in it too, I think. It's just, it just totally depends on who you are. I feel like you should have added man on the end of that. <laughs> There's like a little peace sign going on with your hands. <laughs> Grow your hair out a little bit. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. Which leaves us with just one thing to do in this show. Lindsay, what are yes. your top five personal Lindsay, easiest languages. Don't okay, have to be so, languages that you've learned. They're just languages that you think either are easy or would be easy. And why? See, that's the hard one. So I, I did two lists. Yeah. I did my own from mm -hmm. my own experience because what you know is limited, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then I did a, a general one as well. Okay. So my own, first of all. So French, because I started learning when I was a kid. So it was we were just playing games and stuff. So by the time I was having to learn stuff, I already knew the basic stuff, right? So French, top five. Guarani, because like we've just been discussing, it's the heart pulling as well as the head. So there's a bit of interest. Esperanto, because I knew a lot of languages that Esperanto was based on when I started learning Esperanto. But all of these being here, by the way, doesn't mean there's not difficult things difficult elements with these Portuguese because I already knew Spanish and French and Italian and I practice with just loads of speaking and finally Dutch because similarly to Portuguese I did this at the same time so I just had some time to have lots of speaking sessions and I learned to be able to speak Dutch pretty quickly even though I can't do any of it now so that's another thing about an easy language it doesn't mean that it's easy to remember for a long time as well yeah in terms of general Mm -hmm. Do you want that as well? I wrote down, hang on, have I still got five? One, two, three, four, five. Yeah, okay. I wrote down tok pissin before we started to discuss about pigeons as well. So I'm glad we've discussed that. So that's like the main um, Creole language used in Papua New Guinea. Um, 
I wrote down Esperanto. I added Spanish. And then I also added Swedish. Never really learnt it, but I've heard that like there's no verb conjugations and I feel like, I don't know. I don't know why I really put Swedish down. Um, yeah. And I also added English because even though it's English is very difficult and nuanced and accents and all of that stuff, it is everywhere. So that because of the access, and again, we discussed this, right? Now that doesn't mean that it's easy, but it has that easy access. So you have more that you can do before mm. it begins to get difficult. Yeah. Yeah. What, what I wrote down, and, and I think English is... For for all of us non-English speakers, English is just automatically, it, it's what you said before, it's massively, massively, massively accessible. And also, a big part of learning a language is exposure to the language. And we're all exposed to English all the time. Yeah. So that automatically makes it easier, in quote, quote marks. And interesting that you put Swedish. Very interesting. I, I don't know why. <laughs> I felt like I should put some that I haven't learned just for balance. Yeah. I, play, yeah. I played with Swedish. I've been to Sweden, so I did a bit of like tourism Swedish. Um, didn't find it. Same, actually, do you know what? Both Norwegian and Swedish, I did a thing where I thought, I'm German, I speak English. This is basically going to be walking a park, eating cake. And it absolutely wasn't. As in, it there was I don't know I expected it to be like an open door that I just walk in and I totally had to get a key so right. not as easy as I thought but th- right. it's it's about your expectation again as a as a learner well yeah see I also had Afrikaans written down and then I crossed that out <laughs> but I, because I realized that's probably me thinking what would be an easy language for me to learn next yeah because I know German and I got a bit of Dutch so maybe Afrikaans but then I was like well would that be easy for everyone? I don't know. So I crossed it out and put Swedish for some unknown reason. It's just what it, did you put? What's on your list? It's almost impossible to put. Make a generalist. Okay, so here's my. Um, the, okay, so I'll start with the languages that I've learned. Um, number one, English, um, because of the cultural dominance, because you grow up with exposure. I remember we had so much English language advertising. Um, when I was a kid, like not the full full um, advert might be in English, but the music would be in English. And we just have music on the radio all the time in Germany in English. And like for someone who comes from where I come from, and to be honest, for a large part of the world, we're just exposed to English. We can't help it. So English, I put it on there. But with a caveat that it's hard to master English. I think English, it's very easy to get to um, a functional conversing, functioning level. But it's very, very difficult to get in English to any kind of level where you would be <sighs> like really, really, really good. Yeah. Again, it's personal, right? It depends on it depends on your level, what you're looking for, etc. Yeah. But you know, I did put English on there. Um, I put Spanish, but that's that's more about my experience. Like I found Spanish. Super duper easy because I learned Spanish after doing Italian, Latin and French. Yeah. So at that point, Spanish isn't, it, you know, it just doesn't bring you any puzzles that you haven't solved before in some kind of way. Especially having got the background in Latin and being a German person. I've got, you know, like grammar doesn't scare me. Which again, is it's personal. It's personal. Okay, so here's my number three. Dun, dun, dun. Latin. Ah, right. I've I've done Latin. 
um, in school. And the reason I put Latin is because you don't really need to speak it because it's a dead language. Latin is all yes. about reading, right? This is a part that I feel, I think, with Guarani because I don't need to speak it. <laughs> <laughs> so there's like half of the battle is, isn't really there. <laughs> yeah, like Latin is very, very complex, but it's all in the written field. So you've got time to figure everything out and you've got time to correct yourself. And it just, you know, like you do, the stakes just aren't. I, I never felt mistakes were as high in Latin. Right. Ah, oh, okay. Yeah. So again, the emotional thing comes comes into it, I guess. Uh, like if you're not in a conversation where you have to think on your feet and react quickly and all that stuff, and instead you're just like at home doing your homework or you're you're reading your Seneca and trying to make sense of what on earth he means or your Ovid, it's different. It's different. So Latin, yeah, because it's it's an input language more than an output language. Okay, I can see that. And. Um, and it's just fun, <laughs> but um, but very complex. That's got to be said. Like it's very complex grammar um, for for me. Number five, four. These are the two that I haven't learned. So number four, um, I put Nigerian pigeon because I wanted, okay. like like you, I put a pigeon, and I kind of had a search on Wikipedia around the most commonly spoken, and Nigerian pigeon is quite far ahead. Um, so wow. it's just because the Nigerian population is very high. I think there's several million who the Wikipedia lists, you know, Wikipedia, um, as, as speakers basically of Nigerian pigeon. So okay. I put it as a representative of pigeons, um, bearing in mind what we discussed earlier. And then my final one was Indonesian because oh. we, we did that class with Maria in Berlin at the polyglot gathering three years ago. And yeah. I was just overwhelmed by how, how accessible it was. Yeah, it is accessible. Vocabulary I find quite difficult with Indonesian, I think. Well, so I, some... I never went beyond that class where yeah. I learned like, um, I eat good. How are you? Yeah. Kappa, kappa. <laughs> but you yeah. know, the, the fact that it stuck with me. So I think that's a compliment to Maria's teaching um, to a very, very large part as well. <laughs> I think so as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All compliments to Maria, who is just wonderful, wonderful. So those were those were my five: English, Spanish, Latin, Nigerian pidgin, and Indonesian. Indonesian. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, listeners, dear listeners, as you have heard just now, it's, it's impossible for us to tell you what languages are really the easiest languages in the world, but there are a few that keep coming up all the time, but they could just be because we're English speakers, and I'd love to hear from you and your world. What languages are accessible to you? What languages do you want to learn? Have you ever avoided a language because you thought it would be hard? Have we maybe convinced you to try a language that previously you thought it was hard, but now you're like, yeah, but I'm on fire for it. And I don't know, what else do you have to say to us about easy and difficult languages. You can reach us on Twitter at The Fluent Show. You can find us under the hashtag The Fluent Show on Instagram. Lindsay is on Instagram as Lindsay Does Languages and on Twitter as LD Languages. I am on Instagram as Kirsten underscore Fluent and on Twitter as Fluent Language and on Twitter as at The Fluent Show. Now I've named them all. I'm going to link you up as well. And you can just find it all in the show notes, which are at fluent.show slash 134. Now, Lindsay, have you got anything to plug? Anything that you're up to? What is new at, win at win Windy Does Languages? <laughs> Lindsay Does Languages. 
That's not me. No. <laughs> um, what zoo? Um, so when this goes out on the 22nd of April, correct? Yeah. So this Friday, in that case, I'll, I'll pretend that we're recording on exactly the same day as it goes out. Um, I'm hosting a webinar for online language teachers. And, you know, you should come if you want to teach languages online. It's the easiest way to get to it is lindsaydoeslanguages.com forward slash webinar and you'll be able to sign up there. Fabulous. Completely I'm gonna, free. I'm going to link that up in the show notes as well. What's the topic of your webinar? I'll be talking about the best technique for your social media for online language teaching in 2019. Cool. I might sign up to that on Friday. Oh, no, it's my birthday on Friday. It's my birthday. Oh. I might join you anyway. If you, yeah, if, you if I join, there should be cake. Cake emoji. Come along. <laughs> so Lindsay's hosting a webinar and you're going to find that in the show notes or the URL, lindsaydoeslanguages.com slash webinar. And you can also, if you wish, come on a retreat, come on a holiday with me. I'm hosting, I'm hosting language retreats. I've got two language retreats coming up in June. So they are nearly sold out, but we definitely have a place on French. And I think we've got a, a place on German as well. Just get in touch with me. You can learn out everything about those retreats at fluentlanguage.co.uk slash retreats. And these are all in fully catered, fully led tutor and fun and everything language holidays you spend a week together and with with me or with Therese for the French retreat and it's just relaxation and language immersion at the same time it's bliss I love hosting these so do check them out and get in touch now don't forget that the fluent show is also about to take a birthday break so i'm taking two weeks to rest recharge recover we're going to be back with the next show on 13th of may 2019 so just make sure you're subscribed so that you don't miss the next show until then why not take some time to rate and review the fluent show wherever you are listening to us Find us on social media, recommend us to your favorite podcaster as interview guests and just have a dig around the archive, which is at fluent.show slash episodes. Thank you once again as well to our sponsor, italki. And I've already told you where to find us. If you want to send an intro, a question, anything at all, it's Kirsten, K-E-R-S-T-I-N at fluentlanguage.co.uk. Lindsay, any final comments? Nada. Nada. Okay. In that case, it is goodbye from me. Goodbye. And goodbye from Lindsay. Goodbye.